Welcome back to Ravens Recap. We're coming in today on March 11th, the day that Marshall Yonda retired. Man, it's a it's a sad day for the Ravens community. I guess it's bittersweet is maybe a better word. But on the bright side, we're 52 days away from my wedding. You know, it's always tough to see a player who's been such a big fixture for the Ravens for such a long time take an exit, you know, whether it was be Yonda or Reed or or Ray or Flacco or whoever. I think it's always good to see that a guy had a full career. I mean, Marshall Yonda, he strapped in 2007 and got a third-round pick out of Iowa, and he... You know, had to work his way into the starting lineup, but once he got there, he didn't let go, made eight Pro Bowls, several All-Pro teams, got a Super Bowl ring, and I think he has a great shot to make it into the Hall of Fame, so it sucks that his career had to come to an end at some point, but he's going out on top. Yeah, it's funny because I know the news that we had gotten at the uh, Tennessee game that he was there after the game on the field with his family taking pictures and some people are looking at that and be like oh yeah he's definitely gonna retire and other people are like nah you know you know he might not and he even said at the time he was like no I'm gonna talk about it a little bit but you could uh you could tell from the presser that he gave today in the interview that I think he went into 2019 saying like okay like unless something really drastic changes like I think this is going to be my last year regardless if you know if I'm able to play the whole thing or not. It's it's definitely sad. You know, he's such a special player. I mean, I know the the fan base loved him. I mean, he was one of the players although he's, you know, definitely not like a Ray Lewis player. He he's one of those guys that people love to cheer for when he's coming out of the tunnel at M&T Bank. Got a buddy of mine who's got a Yonda jersey, been rocking it for a couple years, and he's definitely going to be missed. There are, there are a lot of plays that I can remember and look back fondly of from uh, from over the years that uh, Marshall Yonda had a hand in, and uh, it's going to be sad not to see him there on Sundays. One of the plays I'm watching right now on repeat, because it's that great, is the one that Luke Jones tweeted about, and I retweeted on the Ravens recap page, where Ray Rice is trying to run for the first down, and he's like a couple yards short in the playoff game against the Broncos in 2012. And Yana comes up from behind and just like <laughs> basically tackles him forward to get those final yards and get the first down. Yeah. I always loved, um, I love Baldy's breakdowns of Yonda. He had a couple of them, I think in like, you know, over the years, I think one that stands out to me was like from 2016. That was the, you know, the story I'm sure you got, you all uh, guys remember, um, you know, you mentioned it on his presser as well, where he, you know, he messed up his right shoulder and, you know, the coaches were debating putting him on IR and he's like, ah, you know what? I'm going to play, I'll play left guard. I think I can use my left arm, right? And uh, I remember, you know, during the season, Baldy had a breakdown in there. You went through it and he was just like, you know, I think it's amazing that Marshall is coming out here and has like solid technique and is able to flip sides and, you know, not miss an, a beat. It was just absolutely amazing that that guy could play at such a high level, you know, at really like three different positions. I mean, right guard was his main position for most of his career, but he played right tackle 2010. He played left guard in 2016. A few other games, I think, throughout his career as well and couldn't see a difference. He just, you know, he did his job at an extremely high level and it definitely showed. Yeah, and I think 
to your point with the with that story, I think that people are going to remember Yonda's play with the Ravens. They're going to remember his work ethic, most certainly, and and his leadership, his quiet leadership. But I think the biggest thing that is going to be remembered with this guy is, you know, you, you, you just told that story, and there's others that have been coming out of the woodwork since uh, since he retired that just add to the myth of this guy's insane toughness. I mean, that. There's a story floating around. You guys see the story where uh, he won the $600 pet for being <laughs> right. oh, taste yeah. yep. three times. Cla- classic Yonda story. Yep. <laughs> that was great. And then I don't remember hearing about this at the time, but this came out, at least to my attention, years later. But I mean, it, it probably was told well at the time, and I just forgot about it. But very late in 2012, in the Super Bowl season game against Cleveland in on Christmas Eve, Yonda had an injury to his leg that swelled up so bad that he needed to get surgery to have the muscles split. Oh, wow. So he could basically walk on it, apparently. And I think, if I'm reading correctly from what I've read, that that injury that he had is bad enough that sometimes it requires amputation. And yet this guy was still on the football field the next week. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Epitome of toughness, man. What a guy. The guy's toughness is insane and it just goes to show you if any of us are watching on tv and we're just like yeah we could do that you're just like no Mm. it requires (laughs) such an insane pain tolerance and commitment and yonda's just the poster child of what it takes to to go through that pain and and play week in and week out in the nfl i really appreciate that door of the press conference which i do recommend watching if you haven't seen it yet they didn't beat around the bush he is going to be in the Ring of Honor sometime, you know, next season. So that'd definitely be a game I would like to go to and and see that ceremony and honor Yonda's career one more time. Yeah, no, definitely. And 100% earned. I mean, I was just thinking about it. If you think about the list of, I mean, everyone has their own opinion on who the top 10 Ravens are in franchise history. And there are some guys that are, are definites on that list. Obviously, Ray Lewis, Jonathan Ogden, Ed Reed, Terrell Suggs. And then you got a bunch of guys that, you know, might make some people's top 10, might not make others like uh, Todd Heap and Jamal Lewis. Um, I think you could make the case for them being in the top 10 or being in the top 20. But I think you could definitely make the case that Yonda belongs in the those list of four players as, as a guy who should be on every Ravens fan's top 10 list as far as best players in this franchise history. I don't know. What do you guys think? Definitely. I mean, you can't go to that many Pro Bowls, be a consensus first round uh, Hall of Famer, like at the time of retirement, everyone's saying that and not be right. Like, that's that's the definition. I mean, we're talking about Jamal Lewis, who I think is worthy of being in that top 10, at least with the current Ravens that we have. And, uh, you know, he did not do that. <laughs> you know, like that's that's not his career uh, legacy. Right. I mean, yeah, you go. I mean, you go off players by longevity i mean i think yonda has to be top five right i mean you have ray ogden reed suggs yonda yeah that's kind of how i would put it yeah seeing this today just was a reminder of how kind of sad it was that suggs did not get to retire a full career raven you know uh, they were talking in the press conference that yonda wanted to go out when the players and coaches and fans would all be begging for him to stay he didn't want to be a guy who uh, had lost a step in because of you know cap casualty and then being a business and looking out for the best interest of the Ravens he wasn't around and I think that's you know kind of what happened with 
Suggs. So I definitely applaud that. And I thought it was really neat that in the conference, he also said that even though they went 14 and two, were dominating the run game. Never knew how much this guy loved when they ran the football. Well, uh, <laughs> he's like, I pass block cause I have to, <laughs> but he's like, he was all about the run blocking. He just dominating the game. And even though they had that amazing career, uh, and season, he didn't want to go into next year because he knows that to have that kind of success is earned and it's not easy. And he didn't know if he could do it again. He's seen many people, you know, fall off in their last year substantially. And they probably didn't think that was going to happen to them. And he didn't want to be that person. He was, it was really important to him. And it was viscerally clear that he went out on his terms while like at the top of his game. Right. Yeah. And and that's, because of that thought process is kind of why my initial reaction to it was definitely bittersweet, like you said, Alec. But at the same time, I was actually more on the side of hoping he would retire this year rather than next, mainly for himself. Like you said, I mean, you want to go out on top. You don't want to be one of these athletes who's just struggling to convince teams that your passion to play the game is equivalent to your worth still in what you can do on the field. But I also think it's good for the Ravens because interior offensive linemen, because Yonda's been so good, it's kind of been a double, you know, it's been good and bad to it. The good is that it's solid. And because he can go around the different positions and help guys out, that's been huge in anchoring a weak position for the Ravens. But at the same time, at least under Ozzy uh, and DeCosta didn't really address this position last year. I mean, you know, Boza, Bozeman came in, so you got him. But I feel like that this really forces the Ravens' hands to really try and get some more interior linemen. It's going to be hard to find another Yonda, absolutely. But at least get guys who are at least slightly above league average players on that interior line, which has been a position year in and year out. We're just wondering at the beginning of the year, how's that going to hold up if Yonda has to lose time, which he did a couple of times over recent seasons, you know, is the O-line going to fall apart? So I think it's better for this to happen while Yonda still adds some left in the tank rather than the Ravens kept falling back on him in years when his, his play started to decline. He wasn't able to uh, play at that top level like he did this year. Right, and remember going into season two, that was one of our biggest question marks was around the offensive line, like, you know, who's going to step up at these other spots and kind of forcing that to happen in the offseason now. While, you know, it's it's definitely hard to, to lose a player like Yonda, it does force the, the front office to look at the draft more and be like, okay, you know, we really need to restock this position group. And remember, too, even at the end of the season, I mean, we had injuries to Skura, but was pretty serious. We still don't know what his status is going to be moving you know, forward. So we were already thinking who was going to have to step up in that center spot and then maybe who would eventually take over that right guard spot. And, you know, now that Yonder's retired, things are looking a little bit thin. So it's good to turn to the draft, turn to free agency to do, just as you said, Peter, to refill that position group. Yeah, it seems like now the conspiracy theory that Ben Powers is being groomed as a right guard all along and is a lot of part of the master plan gets a little bit more credence, right? Like, <laughs> I kind of uh, remember when he drafted him and he had that whole line about, like, I like, you know, demoralizing the team. And then after Yonda's comments today, I was like, they're kind of the same person. <laughs> I was like, get in there, man. You might be great. So I, I'm I'm guessing that he's our right guard going forward. And then 
continue to have James Hurst be that kind of all around backup guy, but they they do need to uh, refuel either through free agency or the draft. A lot of people are pointing to Coletio Assembly coming back, which I think is kind of interesting because he had a, quite an interesting year with the Jets, getting released, injured, etc. So I don't know. <laughs> he might be on the wrong side of his career at this point. Yeah, I think that one will come down to what he. Well, I mean, like you said, first the Ravens have to see is he even even worth it as a stopgap, which at this point stage in his career might be what he is. And then at that point, what's the contract going to be? Do you want to bring him in as just the guy to hold down the reins until you feel fully comfortable with handing it over to, we're assuming Ben Powers, um, or whoever that next young draft pick is going to be? I mean, that's a an interesting question. I don't know if those rumors are actually on any merit beyond the fact that Osemele used to play for the Ravens, but I think it's definitely an intriguing story to watch. Another thing that's interesting, though, about bringing back Osemele, um, just as goes to show another in- incredible aspect of Yonda's career was just this longevity he was able to have as an unheralded third-round pick. I don't know if too many Ravens fans remember, but that year... Yonda was the second guard that Ra- that the Ravens drafted. In the first round, they drafted uh, Ben Grubbs out of Auburn, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he played his last down in the NFL in 2015 for the Kansas City Chiefs. And then, you know, bringing back Osemele, I remember, I believe it was, yeah, the 2013, after the 2013 season was when he was done, and there was a huge debate going on around, around the area among Ravens fans. You know, do you sign Osemele or or Yonda was basically going to be what it was. If we've re-signed Osemele, then the thought process was that we wouldn't have enough money to re-sign Yonda down the road. And it was a pretty split debate from what I remember because there were a lot of people who made the argument that, yeah, Yonda's the better guy right now, but Osemele is younger and has the potential to be uh, a lot better in the future. And there's a thought process that Yonda would be slowing down around 2015, 2016. And uh, we see now that that definitely wasn't the case. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. I do remember that controversy and exactly what you said, trying to go with the younger guy, um, as he was saying in the presser, like it's a young man's game. So he always was uh, appreciative of being able to be in the position he was to continue to be on the Ravens and and be a starter, particularly after he had the moment where he lost his starting job for 11 games, which I completely forgot happened. Yeah. Now, I didn't get the chance to watch the presser yet, but remind me what season that was. 2008. 2008. Yeah, because he got hurt, and that's what kind of started it. Yeah, I was guess was it uh was it Chris Chester who played right guard? That that name, yeah, he he played uh, right guard around the 2006 2008 range. So it's so interesting okay. to think now that Chris Chester was considered a better villain than Yonda. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's funny because I mean, I, again, I remember back to 2010 where I guess it was Michael Orr who was out, and Yonda had to slide over to right tackle because we had a, you know, we didn't have a, a backup who could play that tackle position. And you know, at that point, I mean, if if you're moving your right guard over to to right tackle, you have to trust him somewhat if you if you're willing one to move him out of his spot and not to have the backup like playing the position there so it seemed like around that time like you know we definitely had a lot of faith in the guy but yeah it's crazy i um i'm with you alec i i totally overlooked that uh aspect of his career but you know like he said um you know i i think it really humbled him and and kind of made him more more hungry for uh for success and 
<laughs> now in, in 2019, we don't even remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I think yet another thing to point out about Yonda's career is just to see that you had former Ravens like Joe Flacco and Jared Johnson come to, to support Yonda at his retirement announcement today and plenty of, of uh, messages from former big name Ravens, um, Ray, Ogden, Haloti. I think I saw Suggs said something, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, he owes him a beer. That's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, gosh, so many big name Ravens just talking about this guy's toughness and, and his tenacity and how he was the ultimate teammate and just ultimate preparer as far as the fundamentals of, of how you just bring your lunch pail into work and just do, do the little things every day. And it wasn't just uh, Ravens players, but you saw a lot of players from other teams, uh, mostly offensive linemen and defensive linemen, uh, just talk about how they're going to tell their, their kids one day that, that Yonda was the, the nastiest guy they ever had to play against. And you know, I think I saw former Steeler Brett Keisel say that his battles with Yonda was what made the Ravens-Steelers rivalry so special. I, I just think, especially for a position of offensive lineman, which is the least heralded position in the NFL, at least from a fan perspective and public perspective, I just thought it was really cool to see how much of a name this guy has made around the league and how much respect pretty much everyone has for this guy's game and, and the and the kind of guy he is. Well, the Ravens lost a great player today, uh, and we congratulate Marshall Yonda and look forward to the rest of his uh, post-career adventures, but they did gain two comp picks, so that was an exciting uh, development, particularly because one of them is a third rounder the one for C.J. Mosley, there was concern because of his injury and playing time, he would not be enough to get a third rounder and we would end up with a fourth rounder. Uh, and that's a pretty d- big delta, you know, because they, they happen at the end of the 32 normal picks. So that's 32 pick difference at least. Yeah, no, definitely. Exactly like you just said. I think a lot of Ravens fans were both surprised and excited to see that the pick for Mosley did come in as a third rounder for the reasons you stated. But yeah, they got the third round pick in addition to a fourth round pick for John Brown. They could have gotten two more picks, but the signing of Earl Thomas canceled out the loss of Zedarius Smith and picking up Mark Ingram canceled out the pick they would have gotten for Suggs. I would say those two signings were worth it last year. Um, Unfortunately, Ingram did get hurt at the end of the year and Earl had a, a couple of hiccups, but for the most part, both those guys hit exactly as as we hope the best case scenario would be for them going into the year. So would be nice to have four, but I think the Ravens made the, the right decision in, in getting both those guys and you still got that, that third rounder there. So overall uh, it looks like best case scenario for the Ravens. If we're looking back at this, this point last year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and who would, yeah, again, I mean, we've, we talked about this to death, I think the last couple episodes when we were doing the season recap, but if you guys would have thought, you know, at the end of last season, you know, with us losing all these players, Mosley, Zedarius, John Brown, Suggs, you would have looked at it and be like, well, I think next season we're, we'll be good to, to go a little bit over 500, right? And we ended up going 14 and two. So, I mean, that's absolutely great. That means we, we definitely achieved a lot last season. And the other good thing too, is that, you know, the team has such a young core already. And we know that we have holes and, 
you know, the draft is one of the ways to try and plug those holes and develop new talent. But I think the Ravens are in a really, really good spot having such a young core already. And just adding these two picks is is definitely beneficial. It, it sucks we didn't get all of them, but I mean, I think we're in a really, really great spot. So some of you might be listening to this and thinking, why are we so excited about these middle of the draft additional picks that we're getting here? You know, it's just like, it's not like an, it's an extra first or second rounder, but you could be forgiven if you don't quite remember the Ravens' success with compensatory picks because we did some research to try and get a link to before this episode to discuss the Ravens' history with these picks, and we found it very hard to find a list. So we had to go to Wikipedia, find every Ravens' comp pick from every draft, and we've compiled the list right here, and we're going to talk about... <laughs> Uh, some of the successes and uh, not-so-successes the Ravens have had here. <laughs> and this is a Ravens recap exclusive, because like I just said, if you search for this on Google, you will not find it quickly, if at all. <laughs> yeah, you'll find the uh, Baltimore Ravens photo gallery of all the comp picks up to 2014, I guess. But it doesn't have their names. So good luck trying <laughs> right. to figure out who wore number 40 in you know 1999. Well, the good thing is it does tell you what pick they are. So if you could, if you take our list, you could probably reverse engineer almost all of them. We didn't give you the, the pick number for this, but we do tell you the round. <laughs> sure. So you can go ahead and probably figure it out from that uh, based on position and whatnot. And usually there's not too many for like, there's not too many duplicate picks in the same round. But yeah, I couldn't believe that it didn't exist. But we got to start off with the biggest, the biggest name on the whole list. Wally Richardson in 1997. Whoa, 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 whoa. You jumped 96. <laughs> oh, excuse me. <laughs> I know you're so excited to talk about your man, Wally, but come on, man. <laughs> that's actually, that's quite interesting. A comp pick in 96, wouldn't all of the picks that the Ravens had that year be comp picks? <laughs> well, well, I mean, they were, but they did play a, a season before, I guess, technically, because they were, they weren't expansion. They were just relocated. Relocate. They were relocated under a new banner. That's true. Oh, that's so, true. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. so, so any Browns free agents that they would have lost that, right. they would have recouped that. That okay. that must have been what that was. Okay. Unfortunately, though, for the Ravens, I could be wrong about this guy because I did was not watching the Ravens closely during this time. But the very first comp pick in Ravens history is wide receiver James Rowe, and I remember nothing about this guy. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. <laughs> yeah and i just i just enjoyed the name wally richardson the next year quarterback i looked into him and uh he had one career passing yard which peter quickly reminded me it's one more than i'll ever have um, <laughs> <laughs> and then he had a uh very short um xfl and arena football career <laughs> so yeah what a guy but in 97 you can say the ravens had their first success with the comp pick um they selected the sixth round defensive end slash linebacker cornell brown who was never a star player for the ravens but uh he lasted several seasons on the ravens i want to say through about 2004 as a a backup linebacker slash special teams guy who you know it's just a kind of a you know a dependable player ne never a highlight real guy but a guy who was able to just come in and do be dependable 
Yeah, that's what you want out of a six rounder. If you get a contributor that lasts, you know, for years on the team in that capacity, I mean, that's that's success. A lot of them don't stay in the NFL long. For example, Cam Quale in 1998, seventh round pick, tight end. He did not stick around long. But the next one, the next one's a great. Yeah, this is our guy. If you guys uh, were listening in the summer last year, we did our underrated Ravens podcast. There's actually a couple underrated Ravens were comp picks. And this is a guy that Alec was insanely excited to talk about when we got to him mm-hmm. in that <laughs> pod. Edwin Mulatalo, longtime left guard for the Ravens, from 99 through around about 2004. Started next to the only offensive lineman better than Marshall Yandu played for the Ravens so far, Jonathan Ogden. And between him and Ogden, they were just a dependable rock on the left side of the offensive line for seasons. Yeah, it looks like we got uh, a couple other guys, I think, that we mentioned that episode. And uh, if we go all the way up to 2002, so... Uh, we actually got a number of guys here over the next couple ones, so we'll just name them all out. So 2002, uh, Javon Hunter, wide receiver, uh, Chester Taylor, running back, and safety, Chad Williams. So both the latter two guys, I know we mentioned them. Yeah, we absolutely did, and it really just shows the value of having extra draft picks, either as capital to move up in the draft and get a little bit better positioning and get a player you want. Some of those comp picks that were traded, because um, we didn't actually use all the comp picks ever, that helped us get other players. So in a way, like those are the undocumented comp pick, you know, like people. But yeah, Chester Taylor, great example, and and Chad Williams, the playmaker. And then going on to 2003, the Ravens had some other hits here. Fifth round fullback Ovi Mihaly, who was a solid, dependable fullback for the Ravens for a few seasons. I think he made the Pro Bowl as well once, but it might have been with Atlanta after he left the Ravens. I'm not sure it about was. that. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. And then he also had... Offensive tackle, Tony Pashos in the seventh round. Kind of like Cornell Brown, you know, never a guy who was a star, but he was a, a guy you could at least depend on to fill in in the case of injury, which I'm pretty sure he he had to do for Ogden on a couple occasions. And wasn't a guy that you felt completely depend, uh, content with when he was out there, but it was also just a never guy, a guy who was going to kill you. So kind of like James Hurst? <laughs> right. Kind of, yeah. I, th- I think you could say that, that Tony Pashos was the... Was the predecessor to james hurst in some ways <laughs> so what about 2004 I, I actually don't recognize any of these guys oh you gotta remember clarence Moore. <laughs> yeah so 2004 in the seventh round they selected guard brian rimp who i don't remember at all <laughs> wide receiver Derek abney who the only reason i remember that is because we went to training camp with my i went to a training camp with my parents uh, that off season, and somehow my dad got a copy of the Baltimore Ravens media guide that was supposed to only go to, to reporters. Like <laughs> they just gave it to him. I don't know if they had extra or what, but Derek <laughs> Abney was like on the cover or something. So I remember that. But then six round pick, they had wide receiver Clarence Moore, who had one of the more interesting seasons of the Ravens. In some ways, he was the precursor to um marlon brown in the fact that he this was a guy that did nothing so marlon brown had a more consistent rookie season than clarence moore did but i remember clarence moore just out of nowhere had a monster game for ravens wide receiver preface that for ravens wide receiver against the (laughs) new york jets in uh an overtime win 
for the Ravens. I think he had two touchdowns in that game. We can double check that. And then the next week he had a touchdown against the Dallas Cowboys. No, no, not Dallas Cowboys. Cleveland Browns. Cleveland Browns. That was the Ed Reed game where he um he broke the record the first time. And then he just kind of disappeared. But then he also had a big games against Dallas and the Giants. And then just never did anything else for the rest of his NFL career. <laughs> so here's a fun one. I was going to go find his stats from the Wikipedia page. And it's like stats are from NFL.com. And you click on it. And it's a link for Chad Johnson. <laughs> I did the <laughs> same thing. <laughs> Uh, maybe plural football reference is more reliable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did not draft Chad Johnson. Although, man, can you imagine if we did? That would, one, be hilarious, and two, Jeez. we probably would have had much more offense uh, su- success on offense. Yeah. <laughs> so he got, in his rookie year, all four of those touchdowns. Uh, well, there was one in, his, in 2006, but, yeah, his rookie man. year was his best year. <laughs> Jeez. After his rookie year... 24 catches, 293 yards. He had five catches for 60 yards for the rest of his career. (laughs) And 59 of those yards were in 2005. He only had one yard on two catches, but did have a touchdown. But it was a touchdown. (laughs) In 2006. Oh, man. man. Clarence Moore. (laughs) Ah, we thought he was the future. Hey, Derek Anderson in 2005, six-round pick. He sticked around for a while. Not on the Ravens, though. I know, but... (laughs) He had, a, he had a career. It's he did, than, yeah. Uh, better than Wally. <laughs> better than Wally and better than uh, 2006 picks. Running back P.J. Daniels and Quinn ooh, Sipnitsky? <laughs> I don't know. Sipnitsky, man. You can't remember Sipnitsky. <laughs> oh, okay, excuse me. <laughs> Tell me about Quinn. Uh, Quinn Sipnitsky, he had to fill in for... Todd Heap and be the starting tight end in 2007 after Todd Heap went down and he basically played the position of tight end <laughs> and that's all I really remember well I appreciate that this is why we have the historian Peter on the show it's like we don't remember something and Peter's like well of course <laughs> of course Quincy Newski <laughs> Finished oh, the 2007 season with 34 catches for 246 yards and one touchdown. Unfortunately, after that, he tore his ACL in 2008 and was never able to really recover from that. I think the next year might be one of the biggest years as far as memorable players. You had linebacker Antoine Barnes, fullback slash running back Laurent McLean, fifth round pick quarterback Troy Smith. And then sixth round pick Prescott Burgess. Yeah, he was a solid uh, contributor on on special teams. I remember from like for at least uh, f- looks like he played for Ravens for five years. So yeah, I mean that was a quality pick right there. Ron McLean, uh, while he only played three seasons in Baltimore, I mean he was huge for the Ravens in two thousand eight when uh, Ray Rice was still a rookie and McGahee was suffering through injuries that year and stepped up and had a just shy over a thousand yard year during Flacco's rookie year. Uh, was a huge part in helping the Ravens get to the AFC championship game that year. Troy Smith was um, kind of like Clarence Moore. There was a time when he was the future and the future came and the future went a lot quicker than <laughs> everyone was expecting. And uh, yeah, he was a really interesting case. Cause if, 
if he didn't get that uh, that sickness, whatever it was, I, I forget if it was um, mono or or what, but he was he was supposed to be the starting quarterback in two thousand eight, and then that that sickness took him out for like a month in in the preseason. Kyle Bowler wrecked his shoulder, so Flacco was the only quarterback left standing and won the right. starting job by default. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. And Suggs was was uh, so upset that Troy Smith didn't get the starting job when when he got healthy again that they needed to create the Troy Smith package, and That's he right. had to throw Flacco a sixty yard pass against Oakland. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Hey, the last time I remember from uh, from Prescott Burgess actually, he used to be a personal trainer at um fed hill fitness oh wow huh. yeah when i when i uh i first i joined in like 2015 and was there for a couple of years and uh, i recognized the name i was like who do i recognize that from <laughs> i looked him up and i was like oh shit he played for the ravens but yeah it looks like 2008 so we got a couple more here um we're starting to get to the years i think that i start to remember all these players 2007 was probably the first one 2008 i remember a couple of these guys so o'neill cousins uh, and David Hale, both of those guys were backup tackles. I can't remember if David Hale stuck around very long, but I know Cousins was around for a couple of years. And then we had Haruki Nakamura, backup safety. The one play I remember for him is that he was the only guy to run down the field with Ed Reed uh, in his <laughs> right. career highlight of the longest interception return for a touchdown. <laughs> He's trying to like beg Ed for the ball. He's like, Ed, give me, give me, give me. And Ed was like, nah, man, I got it. And uh, let's see, Alan Patrick, running back. I actually, I don't recall him. Anybody remember how long he stuck around for? I I think he was another one of those uh, preseason warrior guys. I don't think he really ever got a chance to do anything in the NFL. Yeah, he didn't. Actually, his uh, his Wikipedia page doesn't even mention his NFL years. It just mentions his college career at Oklahoma. He was uh, on the Ravens and the Browns in 2008, so that's just that uh, <laughs> wasn't the best. And then the Giants, Jaguars, Colts, and Rams over the next two years. Hmm. Never saw a game action, unfortunately. Yeah, it looks like him. practice squad only. So then the next two years, the Ravens, in very surprising fashion for them, did not have any picks in uh, as far as compensatory picks. And that's relevant because the Ravens had 52 all-time picks. And the next best teams are the Cowboys and Patriots with 43. So that's a remarkable difference. Really shows how much they value the compensatory system. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and you know, it's like we said, we're picking out a lot of a lot of guys who made uh, solid to excellent contributions from this list. And we got another guy in 2011 in the fifth round. Ravens picked up cornerback Shockey Brown, who was part of that Super Bowl team. And... Linebacker Pernell McPhee, who also was part of that team. McPhee made his big splash, obviously, in 2014 when he got uh, he had a seven-and-a-half sack season, and he cashed in big with the Bears. And then, unfortunately, injuries kind of slowed him down quite a bit to the point where he signed back with the Ravens last year for less money than he was offered in 2014 unfortunately for him, and suffered injuries again. But, you know, at least early in his career, he did some uh, had some big games for the Ravens. Yeah, both solid contributors. The next year, I don't remember anything about Christian Thompson, but I do remember the legend of Asa Jackson. 
<laughs> for years. I thought he was going to be something. And uh, he was barely even a returner. Yeah, I remember, you know, Thompson was just, I don't know, one of those guys, I guess, backup safety. I mean, he didn't really do much. Yeah, I feel like Asa definitely had more opportunities, but like you said, couldn't really make the most of them. So a little disappointing in that regard. But but if you look at the next year, though, actually we had two guys. Actually, let's just group these next two years. 2013, yeah. 2014 together had an amazing run on comp picks. So in 2013, you had two guys, Kyle Juszczyk and Ricky Wagner. Both, you know, I think Ravens fans should should know a lot about those guys. Juszczyk being our starting fullback for a number of years. a very, very good player. Ended up signing with the 49ers and continues to be a very good player. And Ricky Wagner, one of those uh, late-round linemen that the Ravens like to pick up and develop for a couple years. He ended up being a starter here and uh, was able to get a big contract with Detroit. So I think he's still doing well, although I think he had some uh, injuries recently. But yeah, then we go to 2014, and man, we have a couple other guys here. So Crockett Gilmore. Crockett! <laughs> he could not the... be stopped. <laughs> Ever, <laughs> I feel like that one, what was that? That one game against Oakland? Yeah. Where he like blew up for like two touchdowns and over 100 yards, and we were like, oh man, he's the next Gronk. <laughs> not quite. And no. <laughs> <laughs> Very short-lived. <laughs> but uh brent urban hey he was a contributor and uh you know if if the bears would have kept him around a little bit longer we would have got a seventh round comp pick this year ah lorenzo talaferro another uh great name and then john urschel can't forget about john urschel genius yeah, and he was a solid contributor too on the interior offensive line when he was here i think sometimes the Narrative uh, went so much to his admittedly admirable uh, dual career as an NFL player and uh, PhD in mathematics, but he was a very solid interior lineman for the Ravens too and would probably still be playing in the NFL today if he decided to continue. But yeah, I think you look at these two years and all those guys were hits. For Talia Farrow and Gilmore, injuries caught up to them. And like we said, Urschel, he decided that he was wanted to take his career a different path. But Yushek and Wagner are still doing big things in the NFL. And Brent Urban is a guy who's probably going to fill a, fill a final roster spot somewhere. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you look at these two years and the Ravens really hit it with these comp picks. Yeah, I remember thinking about Urschel at the time and I had really hoped that he was going to be Uh, a solid contributor you know something like an Edwin Molotalo or something Um, maybe not to the level of like a Marshall Yonda but a you know he could have been a starting guard or you know a a highly paid backup I think for a a long while and I, I I always remember being a little disappointed on one hand that you know he wanted to focus on mathematics just because he you know he definitely could have had a uh a good career as a football player but you know like you guys said I mean you can't fault him too much for for wanting to take that path I mean obviously you know uh, we don't play professional football we chose more uh, maybe not academic paths but more uh, so I don't know I mean we're all software engineers somewhat similar to mathematics so it's <laughs> I feel like we can relate but uh, as a football fan it, uh, it definitely sucked at the time yeah I'm pretty sure for Urschel the the final deciding factor for him was um at least one concussion he had he had suffered during his career 
again, the concussion story, I mean, we know is something that's continuing to be something the NFL and NFL players are working to make it so that that's the game safer and has less of them. But yeah, certainly considering that I am not putting my body out there on the line, I never fault a player when they choose their long-term health over their career. Definitely. And to wrap up, I feel like we can kind of put a lot of these years together. Our hero, <laughs> frequently uh, mispronounced name for, my, for myself, Nick Boyle, tight end in the fifth round of 2015, around a bunch of other players who really didn't make an impact. Trey Walker, cornerback in the fourth round, and then uh, another fifth round pick of Robert Myers, tackle. Yeah, well, I think the the sad thing though, Trey Walker was a was a you know a really disappointing story. I mean, he died. I can't remember what the motorcycle crash. Yeah, was a motorcycle crash. That's I'm pretty sure he was riding his motorcycle like early morning while it was still dark. Yeah, and unfortunately, a car hit him or something along those lines. Um, yeah, I do remember that. Okay, yeah, actually, know. it really um it was another guy we really like, Brashad Perryman. I know he, him and. Trey Walker were yeah like, they were they were close yeah I know it really affected Perryman I mean he's he said for that entire year uh, that that was it was really tough for him because the two of them were kind of like bonded as like brothers going into the NFL together and tragically this guy's uh, life was ended way too short yeah and the sad thing was um you know the he definitely showed some promise in his uh in his only season that he played in the NFL, um, you know, mostly special teams, but I know that the Ravens were pretty high on him at, you know, being, uh, you know, one of those late round corners that would develop into, you know, an eventual starter. But yeah, after that, uh, motorcycle accident, you know, I cut that career way too short from that. Um, you got 2016, 2016 is really interesting to look back on, not just for the comp picks, but yeah, I remember that draft as, at the time, we were all kind of intrigued by the fact that the Ravens had four f- picks in the fourth round. Sorry, no, no, five. Five picks in the fourth round. And if you look back on it, um, the first one of those picks was Tavon Young. Injuries aside, was very, very good value for that pick. But then the rest of it, you got Chris Moore. Oops. We've talked about him before. <laughs> uh, Alex Lewis is hey. not the replacement to Yonda. Kenneth Dixon will never know what he could have been. Unfortunately, he came into the NFL uh, with bad knees and never went through with that. And uh, Willie Henry, the surprise cut candidate uh, from last year, who I don't think he's not playing anywhere, right? That's right. Yeah, we looked into that one show. Looks like San Francisco signed him in January to a futures contract. But yeah, uh, so Maurice Canaday is... You know, shows promise sometimes, but for the most part, it's just a guy. So, yeah, 2016, not really one of the best, better uh, supplemental draft years for the Ravens. In 2017, they had no picks, but in the sixth round of 2018, they picked up two linemen. Bradley Bozeman, who was a hero this year, really improved his play and became a solid contributor in the interior offensive line. And then Greg Sennett. Or Sanat. Never know how to say that say that name. I would think Sanat because there's no e on the end. But then again, I mean, who who besides 
Brett knew how to pronounce his name Favre before that came out, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously we know, uh, we talked about Bradley all year. He's been a good player for us. Yeah, Greg, he, uh, you know, it's unfortunate. I think we um, we ended up releasing him yeah. uh, in the early 2019. He got picked up by the Chiefs. But that was one of those picks that I think really hurt us. And I think um, I think I talked about it on film study where, um, you know, we really didn't have a true backup tackle once uh, once we dropped Senate, Senat, however you pronounce it. So that's kind of why we had to use uh, a combination of Hurst and a bunch of other guys like McCary and... Um, all those guys like later in the season to kind of fill out the backup lineman spots because we didn't have like one guy that could hold down like the tackle spot. Other than that, I don't know too much about him. He was okay in preseason, but obviously he's playing behind a guy in Ronnie Stanley who is going to be here a long time. So, yeah. So I'm really looking forward to see how we use this third and fourth round pick potentially as actual picks or maybe as trade bait to improve another pick. I wouldn't be shocked to see us improve our second round pick feel like that might be a thing but we'll see hey man as long as uh eric DaCosta can somehow improve our track record of like second and third round picks then i would be fine either way <laughs> i mean if you're looking back at the 2016 draft right we talked we had five fourth round picks and for the most part they turned out you know they were contributors you know even if they didn't live yeah. up to their full potential yeah i know but exactly I mean, what you're talking about <laughs> I mean, yeah, we're looking at the second round pick. Uh, Kamale Correa did absolutely Ooh. nothing until he left for Tennessee. Uh, fun fact, Jihad Ward taken two picks after Correa. Mm. And Derek, Derek Henry, three picks after. Oh. And uh, Michael Thomas taken five picks after. Could you imagine the Ravens with Michael Thomas? <laughs> oh, man. We, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pretend I didn't hear about that. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Tyler Boyd taking like 15 picks after. So, yeah, I, we really messed that pick up really badly. I mean, Boyd's fine and all, but Michael Thomas on the Ravens, gosh. Yeah. Yep. I don't know how we don't win a Super Bowl. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We have Michael Thomas. Yep. Oh, my gosh. Yep. The only silver awesome. lining in that is that Lamar's not here. I mean, it's that Lamar is here because if Michael Thomas is on the Ravens, Joe's still here because... I think Michael Thomas can elevate any quarterback's play to Pro Bowl level. (laughs) All right. Yeah, and then uh, our good buddy uh, Bronson Kafusi in the third round (laughs) taking one pick after um, the one player that a lot of Ravens wins want to pick up, uh, Nagakwe. Yeah, so uh, Eric, Eric DaCosta, hope uh, you and all your scouts have done your homework, and uh, we're going to have a much better third round this year. Yeah. Yes, please. In 2016. (laughs) Now, we we to give the Ravens credit, second round is they past two drafts they just haven't tried. They just didn't draft in the second round. They knew it was worthless. But twenty eighteen, you got Orlando Brown and Mark Andrews. That could be an all time Ravens draft third round. And twenty nineteen, you know, Miles Boykin and Jalen Ferguson, two giant question marks. But particularly in Boykin's case, as we've talked before, these guys could you know they could be big contributors so maybe they have figured something out with the third round we just need to see more years in a row to be convinced of it yeah definitely uh you took a good step in the right direction particularly with the 2019 draft but uh but yeah even that yeah that 2018 between orlando brown and uh mark andrews heck man that was a (laughs) great two picks there even if you had a draft and those are the only two picks you got like i'd say that would be a win 
That that draft is honestly legendary because Kenny Young, aka <laughs> like basically just turned into the best quarterback in the league. <laughs> oh man, so this this is uh this is going to be a good um pod ender. So, fun fact about 2018, looking in here on Wikipedia, the Ravens already have three players who have made at least one Pro Bowl in that draft. Lamar uh-huh. Jackson, Orlando mm-hmm. Brown, and Mark Andrews. Only two other drafts can the Ravens say they drafted three players who made the Pro Bowl. 1996, with Jonathan Ogden, Ray Lewis, and Jermaine Lewis. And 2007, with Ben Grubbs, Leron McLean, and Marshall Yonda. Well, hopefully 2019 gets added to that. I think there's potential there with... Uh you know, the second coming of Yonda, Ben Powers, hopefully. And, uh, of course, Hollywood Brown and, and Miles Boykin. And maybe Jalen Ferguson. Who knows? And you're selling your guy, Justice Hill, short. I know. I thought about including him <laughs> in that, but I, I don't have the confidence. I think uh, I think Hollywood, for sure. Miles, maybe. Ferguson, maybe. And Ben Powers, maybe. I, I would be very surprised if anyone else did. Yeah. Still not sold on the Marshall Max McSworley train yet. All right, with that, we're going to wrap up Ravens Recap. It was great to talk to all of you guys. Coming off, you know, the big news, obviously, of Marshall Yonda retiring. And then, of course, the new comp picks and going down memory lane of all different Ravens to be picked up in the compensatory program. Please do give us a review in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. It super helps out for the show to pop up. I noticed that we actually have risen a few slots, so thank you to those people who have left reviews. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Ravens underscore recap or send us an email, feedback at ravensrecap.com. We'd love to hear from you, particularly if you have some ideas for the show or the offseason. We'll be back when there's more news, definitely when free agency starts. We'll see what happens in the ongoing saga that is Judon and the franchise tag. With that, we'll catch you later.